Because he did not. He wanted to get the volume up. He did not want to hear about that Jesus, though. He was tired of it. And one night, in one of his partying modes, the sergeant ended up totally wasted, and he trashed the hotel room. And in that hotel room that he trashed, he actually picked up a Bible placed by the Gideons. And he actually stole it, a.k.a. borrowed it. And you know what he did? He read it. And he read about the way of salvation in the front of that Gideon Bible. And Fletcher Tricado gave his life to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And now Fletcher Tricado is an assistant principal at a school in San Antonio, Texas. And he is a Gideon, maybe even speaking at a church today. Okay, Isaiah 55.11 says God's word will not return void. And that's what the Gideons have been using for over a hundred years, placing Bibles in hotels for over a hundred years. At our church in Lake Arrowhead, when the Gideons came to speak, I said, well, you know, I'm a busy CSI guy in the crime lab. I, don't, I can't put a lot of time in, but guess what? I can do that. What do you have to do to give out these little testaments? These are the orange ones that go to schools, for example, here in the U.S. Okay? The Gideons give about one and a half million testaments a week. A week is what they do. And so whether it's a jail, whether it's a prison for a Bible, we recover the ones from hotels, being thrifty-minded, and we, we put them in jails. You know, we have camouflage for the military. Okay, very cool to get a camo testament. Okay, and the blue ones are for emergency personnel, law enforcement, fire department, EMTs, emergency personnel. Okay, white ones are for hospitals staff. Green ones are for college. Okay, Halloween at the Lake Arrowhead Village, we'll have our little crew giving out probably, probably at least five or six hundred testaments. And how do we do that? We do that as just an extension of the local church. Okay, we're in one big ministry. Amen to that? Whether it's Big Bear, Arrowhead, Crestline, down in the slums of San Bernardino, where I grew up, okay? That's what we do. And there's more than one way to support. Because as I love sharing about the Gideon ministry, because every dollar that we raise goes for testaments. All of our annual dues pay the overhead. How cool is that? when you're looking at supporting a ministry. And so there's several ways. There's a three-minute video that we're going to queue up, and the three-minute video is going to talk about our Memorial Bible Program because we can give a card to save a life. And it's just a card. It could be now. It's, just, it's more than just a Christmas card or an Easter card. And now we have birthday. We have uh, in memory of. And what's awesome is nothing, nothing against Hallmark, right? However... How, how about when you give a card, it pays for a testament to be out there overseas in one of the 180-some countries that the Gideons give testaments to? And on this one, as we queue up the video, it says, Doctors were treating my wife for cancer. During her first chemotherapy, I went to the hospital chapel to pray. I called out, God, if you are real, please let... Let me know 
is what this husband said at the motel that night. He says, I found a Bible placed by the Gideons. In the book of Matthew, the Lord taught me that when I needed to know, taught me what I needed to know, and shortly after that, my wife and I gave our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. You never know where God's going to use a $5 gift from someone at a local church to change lives forever and families forever. So as we watch the video, then I'm going to come back and tell you another testimony. Life can sometimes leave you feeling lost, empty, alone, and words of comfort can be hard to find until they're put in your hands. Each time you send a Gideon Expressions greeting card with words of encouragement to a friend or loved one, you also send God's word to someone else who is in need here or around the world. It's so simple. Give a card. Send the word. Change a life. I was involved in drug trafficking in my country and sentenced to 20 years in prison. I received a Gideon New Testament and began reading it regularly. One day I prayed to Jesus to change me for the better. I served only 13 years and I went home to rebuild my life. My father abused me at home. My life was a wreck, and I sought help in a shelter. An auxiliary member of the Gideons left a New Testament with me. My tears flowed as I read it. I prayed to God, and He accepted me as I am. Now I'm married and thankful the Word of God was there when I needed it. For over 100 years, a love of changing lives for Christ has seen the Gideons International placing scriptures in the hands of hurting people in more than 186 countries and over 80 different languages. Every time you give a Gideon Expressions card, you help more than 250,000 Gideons and auxiliary members worldwide send God's Word to schools and colleges, prisons, hospitals, military, police, fire, and medical personnel, and hotels and motels. It's so easy. Give a card. Give a card. Send the word. Send the word. Change a life. Send the word. Change a life. Give a card. Send the word. Change a life. We have a rack at the church that has the cards. And I would encourage you to take a look at that, especially with Christmas coming up. Because... When you think about the Gideons, and again, the teamwork as the Christian body, you may say to yourself, well, I can't go overseas. I can't go to the local church. I can't go to the jails. But you can. It's a story I just read today where there was a knock at a door of this person in Nepal, and a plainclothes policeman was at the door. 
And in Nepal, it's against the law as an official Hindu state to even witness for Jesus. But this Gideon businessman in Nepal had done that. Not only had he witnessed to G- about Jesus earlier, about two weeks earlier, he had witnessed to that very plain-clothed police officer who was now knocking at his door. So he was a little on the nervous side, but when he opened the door, the officer said, I've been thinking about what you shared with me when you and your friends invited me to sit down for lunch, and I want to know more about Jesus. That officer prayed and asked Jesus to come into his heart as his Lord and Savior, and he's now a Gideon in Nepal. How powerful is that? Story after story after story that I've heard, and it's just so awesome. Uh, is John Day here today? Yet, John? Is he? Okay. Well, guess what? Last time I was here, John shared about a personal situation when he was looking at a career change or direction in his career, and he opened the Gideon Bible in a hotel, and when he went to the, the section about guidance and time of decision, James 1, 5, and 6, page 1255, and it helped John make his decision. Last time I was here, there was someone who talked about and gave $100 because he didn't have access to a, a Bible when he was in jail, and he saw the value in that, how awesome that would have been if he would have been in jail, what an encouragement it would have been. I, I, when I speak you know, over on the mountain, it's just so awesome. We had another situation. My son, who just turned 29, when he graduated, one of his friends at Rim of the World High, he actually had a car accident, and one of his high school buddies was killed. We set up a memorial for, for that young man, and we gave out over 350 testaments. And when I shared it at Calvary Chapel in Twin Peaks, the father of that young man came up and shared with me afterwards that from what they know so far, there were 30 people that accepted Christ because of the memorial, because why of God's word. So it's God's word that does it. And you can be involved. Number one, how bad is the economy? It's terrible. This is the donations we ask for are over and above what you donate for your local church. For great ministries like a Samaritan's Purse. Great ministries out there. We're one of the great ones. I just want to give you some confidence. We're one of the great ones. That's why I joined. How can you help? Number one, pray for the Gideon ministry. Pray for us because prayer doesn't cost you anything but your time. And does God answer prayer? You bet he does. Okay? If you're able to give, if it's on your heart to give over and above your support here, then do that. That's what we ask. When you look at the, if you did get one of our programs, if you just open that up, one of the little blue ones, and inside you'll see that I would like to dedicate five Bibles is $25. Ten Bibles is 50 25 Bibles is 125. A thousand Bibles is a lot. I don't know. Do the math. Add the zeros. I don't know, right? If you don't ask, you never know, right? But you know what? Every dollar 30, 
puts a testament in a school kid's hand up on up on the mountain here for a buck thirty. How awesome is that? And and so if you want to give, I think of it like this sometimes. I appreciate Pastor Jeff inviting us to be here. And I'm glad I was the one who was able to come here. Because your lighthouse is a personal thing for me. My dad went to be with the Lord about yeah, seven years ago. And I have a lighthouse in our front yard. It's a little kind of out of place being up in the mountains, right? If it was Dana Point, it would be different. But that lighthouse, I remember my dad. And my dad accepted Christ at 42 years old. But what does a dollar thirty do? You can't buy a, a nice coffee at McDonald's for a dollar thirty. I think it's about four of them to buy anything at Starbucks, right? I mean, when you when you put it all into perspective. So what does what does that do? A dollar thirty. Everybody's little dollar thirty. Hundred and thirty dollars for a hundred. Whatever it is, you can do it by credit card. You can write a check to the Gideon's International. Um, it, when, when the offering comes around, it's just what is what we're going to do. But I want to appeal to some folks that are business people. If you're a businessman, you can join us to be a Gideon. I think it's 40 bucks a year is what our dues is. Okay, so I said, okay, I can do that. I can't go to every monthly dinner meeting, but I can do what I can. You don't have to get up here and speak because that's a scary thing for most people, right? I think it's number, number one over death. <laughs> Lord, take me home, but don't make me speak in front of somebody. Oh, my gosh, right? So you don't have to do that. But can you support? They told me they need young people. So even young grandpas like me can do this. Just our dues pays the overhead. And so it's just an awesome ministry. So if you're a businessman, professional person, see me afterwards. I know we, we stayed a couple years back at one of the your fire department guys. Works down fire, I'm at Riverside County somewhere. Is he in Hawaii? Slaving for the Lord there or what, right? <laughs> it's a terrible place, but someone's got to go witness in Hawaii. That is very true. And so I, I truly appreciate your ministry here and for what you do to help support the Gideons. And again, prayer, whatever you can do financially, and God will use it for his glory. Thank you. Enjoying the series that we've been preaching for the last few weeks been challenging? Has it been good? A few of you, that's good. Well, hopefully the rest of you might enjoy today. But Pastor Jeff is going to come and talk about service to God and man as he's as soon as he gets into the offering bag. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Randy, isn't Randy the kind of guy you just kind of want to hang out with? He's a fun guy. A grandpa, huh, Randy? How many you got? Six. Six grandchildren. Congratulations. No wonder you're so thin. (laughs) This morning, continuing on the value statement that we've Uh, have written, and I do have a few more copies of it here if you don't have one, but it goes like this. You may have one in your Bible from last time. I encourage you to think about it, read over it, pray about it. Our statement says the Bible is our authority and prayer is our means. 
Dependency on God is our posture. Restoring relationship between man and God is our passion. Love is our motive. And service to God and others is our expression. His promise to return is our urgency. And to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, is our goal. That's what this value statement says. And we know that from values, when we adopt values into our lives, whatever values we adopt, they begin to dictate our practices and the principles by which we live. So we're taking time to run through this value statement of the, of the church here at Christian Center to talk about each one of these individually. Today we're talking about um, the very fact that service to God and to others is our expression. When we're serving God, it, oftentimes the Bible talks about this. When you look up this topic, service to God, it's about worship. It's about having no other gods before him. It's about rendering what's due him through our body, our soul, and our spirit. It, it might even rush us to Hebrews chapter 13 where it says that he's, we're supposed to be continually giving thanks to his name, the, the sacrifice of praise of our lips, of because we know out of our heart our mouth speaks. And so all of these things tie together in service to God. But service to God and to others becomes our expression. You know, it was during the time when the Romans would, they would have babies and they didn't want them. They would just go to the bridge and toss them into the river. If you know this history, but it was during that time as the Romans would toss these babies into the river just to discard them, that the Christians were getting into boats and fishing them out of the river with nets to save their lives. You may recall if you went through the Truth Project with us, the testimony of the centurion soldier, the Roman centurion in the town of Antioch, when the plague broke out in Antioch, and people were just dropping like flies. They were dying and it was spreading. And we have an, what they call an extant copy of his letter to Rome, talking about what was happening in his outpost in Antioch. And he wrote back to Rome saying, the plague is spreading, many are dying. And by now, I've pulled my troops out of the city to keep them safe. All the doctors have left town. Most of the people are leaving as fast as they can. And for sure, all the politicians are gone. He said, but we find this one sect, I find one sect of people who themselves are not infected who are staying behind to take care of the sick and the dying. And they worship this person they call Christ. It was the Christians who were staying in the plague-ridden city to care for those who were passing away. Maybe that's a little far from home and maybe a little uh, history that's, well, that's just somewhere else another day, another time, very long ago. Well, let's rush a little closer to home. Has anyone ever heard of Loma Linda? You know, we don't even think of it as a city anymore. When you say Loma Linda, everyone thinks of the University Medical Center. There's a city there called Loma Linda. <laughs> and at the early, early part of the 1900s, there was a sanitarium that was built up on the hill there where the church is, if you've ever been there. And that whole University Medical Center is spread from that. Their uh, mission statement at Loma Linda University Medical Center is simply this, to continue the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus. Their vision statement, innovating excellence in Christ-centered health care. 
There's a lot of us in this room that are grateful for Loma Linda. Amen? We're thankful. Been there lots of times. I really know my way around there. I know where the coffee is, which is, that's to be said. You know, seven-day Adventist, caffeine is not, but it's in there. You can find it. You can't find a hamburger. You can get a veggie burger, but, but they're dedicated to this mission, to continue the teaching and healing ministry of Jesus. Basically, what I'm saying in these three simple illustrations or pieces of history is that where the gospel goes, as we heard this testimony and these testimonies about Gideon this morning, where the gospel goes, things improve. Have you ever noticed that? Where the gospel goes and Christianity spreads, things get better. Hospitals are built. Compassion is not, is not distant from where the gospel shows up. When people find out they've been saved by grace, when people come into a relationship with Jesus Christ through his word and through his sacrifice on the cross, they, they not long after that begin to look around and say, look at the conditions around me. I need to make a difference. And so service to God and service to others becomes the expression of a believer. It should be the fragrance by which we are known. What did Jesus say? Didn't he say, by this all men will know? What? By our love, one for another. It's an expression of who we are. Last week we talked about love as our motive. If love is our motive, then love takes action. We could draw a couple of different pictures here. One, God so loved that he gave. Shorten the verse, John 3.16. God so loved that he gave. In other words, the emotion of love, the driving force of love for his own creation caused him to Take action. I don't mean to embarrass Peggy in any way, but when I first met Peggy and that love began to grow and friendship began to grow, I'm telling you, love took action. She was in Los Angeles, and I've told the story lots of times. I would get off work on a Wednesday night at 5, close the shop, lock it up, two blocks to my house. By 5.15 or 5.20, I could be showered and out the door. And on my way to L.A. to get to her church that had a Wednesday evening service in time for it to just be getting out. And I would find her. What are you doing here? Oh, I just happened to be in the area. (laughs) And she lived in in a home that was a discipleship house with girls overseen by Jan Reese, who was our missionary ahead of the Hastings in Guatemala. And I'd have to go to Jan and get permission. Say, can I take Peggy out of her coffee? Yes, get her home by 11, back to the house. And so then we get to the porch at, you know, 10.59. And then we'd talk for a while. They'd let us talk for a little while, and it was all very above board. And then I'd say goodnight, and I'd fall asleep at the wheel driving home. In fact, Randy, one time, coming through San Bernardino in the winter, Window down, down jacket, wind blowing, freezing me, and I'm falling asleep, and I get pulled over. And he says, uh, I know you're not drunk because you're not weaving. 
says you're falling asleep because you go fast, then you go slow, then you go, you wake up, and then you, you know, slow. Now, I've been following you for a little while. He said, I just wanted to get you, get you pulled over and get a little air in your face. You know, it's two in the morning. What are you doing? I said, I'm trying to get home. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, I just want to get your window down. I said, well, thank you very much. He had no clue it had already been down since Ontario, you know. <laughs> But love takes action. Love pursues. Love finds a way to serve. If we have sincere the love of God, we're going to look for an opening, a way to make an improvement, a way to be there when there's a need. We see it primarily as a service towards God. We, we respond to the needs of mankind around us because we love God first. And he loved us first, right? Then we love him back. But then because we love him, it naturally, supernaturally, if you will, flows out that we're going to have a desire to do something compassionate, something helpful, something of service for other people. Now, here's a problem. And we actually experienced this this morning, and this is not a downgrade to the offering for Gideons, but we in our culture have a problem, and it's that this. We think we can buy our way out of anything. When there's a need... We think, well, we can just give or we can write a check or we can get our old stuff and give it away or put it in the yard sale. or whatever. We, f- we look for a way to buy out awful, an awful lot of the time. We've, in the church over the years, I've heard this said many times, and I probably have even preached it myself. And in Romans 10, it said, how will they know unless somebody sends a preacher to them, right? How are they going to hear the gospel unless somebody sends them? And I've heard it preached, you know, there's, there's go, and there's send and there's pray, right? There's go and send and pray. If you if you can go to the mission field, go. And we think of some distant foreign country, and, and we sing the song that was made popular, Lord, don't send me to Africa. And we if we can't go, then we're, we say, well, I can't go that far, and I have a family, and I have a business, I have a job, so I have to stay home. So, okay, then if you're going to stay, then become a sender. Send someone else. And we like to take offerings for missions and for you know, Gideon or for Jason Friend or somebody who's out there doing the mission work. And we're always encouraged, as we were this morning, if we can't go or we can't send, if we can't get behind it financially, then at least we can pray. And really that's a reversed order, isn't it? The most important part is praying first. So what I'm saying, historically in Western Christianity, we promote these kinds of thoughts. And then we adopt them and we live by them and we have them backwards. It's not go, sin, or pray. It's pray first and find out, as one of my missionary friends says, the Bible says, as you're going, make disciples. There's nothing about leaving home there, really, involved in the verse. It's only about wherever you go is how that's truly written. As you are going, wherever you are going, and whatever you are doing, in that process of your going, look for a way to make disciples for Jesus. Win them, baptize them into him, and then teach them to obey everything that he taught us. So we can't get out of the idea of serving others by just writing a check all the time and saying, there, I did my part. I liked and I appreciated Randy and his invitation to businessmen. And by the way, Randy, are women involved in Gideon's International? So that question was asked of me, and I wanted to clarify it openly that women can be involved as spouses in the auxiliary. 
And which got me lost in what I was saying. But I'll come back. Hmm? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Thank you. Where's Gudrun? Huh? Gudrun. Hey, it happened right here in front of me. Yes. Gudrun and I shared a senior moment yesterday. It was it was choreographed. We both had it at the same time, and we just looked at each other. <laughs> and we laughed so hard, we couldn't eat our pie. I mean, it was just, it was hilarious. Like, my goodness, look at us. Forgetting all at once everything we were trying to say. Yeah, well, I'll move on then. We can't just write a check and get out of it, right? We have to pray first and say, God, am I to go? Yes, as you're going wherever you go, make disciples. Should I send? Well, yeah, how are they going to hear in foreign places or distant or across town unless we send somebody? Who could we send? Sorry, I'm not seeing things. There really was something there. (laughs) This is getting kind of weird. If you'd like to open your Bible to Matthew 25, we do use it here, the Bible, time to time. And I've I've committed not to keep you along here today. But as I was preparing this message, three passages really stood out to me. One's Matthew 25, 31 to 46. The other's John chapter 13. And as I was researching and looking things up, Onto my screen popped this picture of Mother Teresa, a little quote box. And she said this. Does everyone know Mother Teresa? I don't know what your thoughts do, but you think high, noble thoughts of such a lowly person. She said, at the end of our lives, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we have, how much money we have made, or how many great things we have done. We will be judged by, I was hungry, and you gave me to eat. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was homeless, and you took me in. In Matthew 25, verse 31, says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Are you seeing the picture? This is a pretty grand moment. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, this is significant. This is not what they said on the recording. I shouldn't impose that. This is significant because listen to the response of the righteous hear it for what they're saying, and I'll point this out. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? They had been doing it. We have been doing it to other people, sometimes literally ignorant of the fact that we're doing it to him. Compassion and the love of God in our hearts as it moves us to this point of serving others. We can actually get lost in serving others and not even realize we're serving Christ. In fact, I'll warn you that if you're serving people and you find yourself getting a little irritated and a little bitter, I think Pastor Rob uh, gave you this. It comes from Lauren Sani, the founder of Navigators. They said, Lauren, how do you know when you really have the spirit of a servant? He says, you'll know if you have it or not, when somebody treats you like one. We all want to be known as servants until somebody treats us like one. You catch it? When they expect you to serve them, your attitude gets a check. I want to be a servant, but if I'm getting bitter or if I'm getting angry because nobody appreciates it or I'm not being thanked for it, or there is no re- response from the server, the one serve, the servee, uh, then, and I get irritated, what's happening? I've lost my focus. I'm serving men instead of serving Christ. See, the true servant that Jesus talks about, I believe, does it without anything in return. They're not looking for accolades. They're not looking for a response. They're, they're not even looking for thank you because they serve Christ in serving others. These people were asking, when did we do that, Jesus? When did we do that to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And the next six verses, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Note that, please that hell was not made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. But people who do not follow Christ, do not accept Christ as their Savior, are already condemned under the same judgment and will go there too. Our job is to snatch them out of the fire. We're firefighters. But Jesus condemns these, as, as Mother Teresa's phrase said, we're going to be judged by this. I was hungry You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You didn't take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Well, when did we not do that to you? Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the passage that Mother Teresa is thinking about. It's not about how much you get. It's not, you know, the guy with the most toys at the end wins. It's not how many diplomas or accolades or how popular you were, how much money you had. All the things that we're taught to strive for in our culture, independence and and achievements and more and more and more and more. And, and, And you ask somebody that's got millions of dollars and tons of achievements, you say, how much is enough? Generally, the answer is just a little more than I have. So it's relative. 
You say to the person that's got $20, how much, how much more do you need? Well, just a little more than what I have. It's relative. She's telling us, the Bible's telling us, Jesus is giving us this passage. He's saying this is how it's going to come down in the end. Did you or did you not serve those that I put in front of you? Aren't we reminded in Hebrews chapter 13 to entertain angels unawares? Entertain strangers because by doing that, sometimes you'll actually enter introducing yourself and an angel together. Wow. We've heard testimonies like that, right? person came along, did something there with them, and then could never find the person again. Ask around. Has anybody ever seen this person? Very, you know, easy to describe as a homeless person or something. No, I've never seen that person. I've lived here for 20 years, never seen that person on these streets. You're kidding. John chapter 13. This is probably for me the classic passage to look at when I think of serving, serving God or serving others. It was before the Feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his time was at hand. Just had supper with his friends. They're all done. Judas Iscariot is there and Satan has put it into his heart already to betray Christ. Jesus, knowing in verse 3 that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he got up from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. He poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel which with he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter in this classic struggle here. Peter said, Lord, you're, you're washing, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered, said to him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Very noble. <laughs> Very high-minded. I, I don't know. I think I might have a similar response. Jesus, this is so not right. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Lord, then not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Nice turnaround, Peter. I'm convinced. Jesus said, hey, Peter, he who's already bathed needs only to wash his feet. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? I appreciate this passage that there's no response from the disciples to that question. I don't know if they were dumbfounded or if it's just not given to us. But I'm sure, as usual, when Jesus was doing something, teaching, giving an illustration, raising the dead, whatever, they were pretty well ready to listen. We never know what's going on with this guy. You call me teacher and Lord.
I've come to understand that happiness is temporal. It comes and goes. It kind of depends on circumstances. But I like happy better than sad. Mm -hmm. I've been both, and I like happy better. Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed, that's a happy state. I want to be blessed. Jesus, the Lord, the creator, the master of the universe, the one who can speak and things happen. He raises the dead, and I find him at my feet, washing my feet. Now, all of us could say, well, he never really washed my feet. Wait, just go read what's called the servant song in Isaiah 42. And you'll find out who Christ is as the servant. The prophecy of Jesus as the servant. In his serving you, he did way more than wash your feet. He removed your guilt. He took away your stain. He took away your sin. He has made it possible for you to be in relationship with the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. I mean, we could go on and on and on what this servant has done for us. And he arises from the moment as he rose from the tomb. And he says, now I've washed your feet. And I've given you an example. Now, there are churches, of course, that have turned this into a rite or a, a ritual. And they want to participate in foot washing on a regular basis as we might with communion or water baptism. I'm not striving with that this morning, but I think there's more to it than that. I don't think I could get away with a foot washing service and say I've completed what the Word of God is asking of me. Unless I just took my towel and basin with me every day, everywhere I went, and washed everybody's feet that I came in contact with. And it's so not in our culture. Excuse me, on the bus. Could you take your shoes off, please? Get this nut off the bus. Across my page, in verses 34 and 5 of this same chapter, Jesus is speaking and he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. After all this time of being a believer, after all this time of being a pastor, I feel like I'm just nudging up against, knocking on the door of understanding what this passage means. I don't say that to be overstating. I think I've always looked at this as saying, they're going to know we're his disciples by the way we love them, those who don't know him. But that is not what this says. They're going to know, those who don't, are not followers of Christ, are going to know that we are followers of Christ by the way we love each other. Now let me just take a swing at it, can I? Let me read to you quickly the definition of the word love we talked about last week. We said love is our motive. We talked about the word agape. I think I have it here in, in this Bible. A word to which Christianity gave new meaning. Outside the New Testament, it rarely occurs in existing Greek manuscripts of the period. Agape, the Greek word for love, denotes an undefeatable benevolence and an unconquerable goodwill that always seeks the highest good of the other person, no matter what he does. It is the self-giving love that gives freely without asking anything in return, and does not consider the worth of its object. Agape is more a love by choice 
than phileos, which is brotherly love. It refers to the will rather than the emotion. Agape describes the unconditional love God has for the world. And when Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciples by your agape for one another. I try and build a picture in my mind of what this might look like. You and I loving each other openly, actually settling our disputes, forgiving one another, as the Bible says, praying for one another that we might be healed. Love overlooking the faults. Love covering the multitude of sins. Love like this, it says, that person has ripped me off, has taken my stuff, has hurt me, has said nasty things about me, and I just so love them. But I, don't, I, I, can, I can still have this unconditional love for them. Now, if we were running a club like that, where that was going on regularly, constantly, sincerely, there are people who would notice that. See, those people actually get along. Those people aren't living by the standard that I see the world talking about. They're not considering how they could step on each other and get to the top quicker. They're pushing each other up all the time. I think I like that. I think I'm going to be attracted to that. And my New Testament tells me that when the church acted like this at the beginning, people were being added to the church daily. It wasn't because they were out witnessing all the time. It was because they were busy loving each other all the time. I appreciate you nodding. At least I know you're listening. No, I know. And you agree. It sounds like something we should reach for. This biblical pattern is is something that we haven't gotten yet. I read to you this statement. The Bible's our authority. Prayer is our means. Dependency on God is our posture. Restoring relationship between man and God is our passion. Love is our motive. Service to God and others is our expression. His promise to return is our urgency. And to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, is our goal. Out of those eight statements of value, I wrote this down following. I thought, I, this can't just be a random statement. There has to be some Bible here. And so I went to the early church passages in Acts chapter 2. These three verses, verse 42, 46, and 7, say this. They talk about the principles that came out of the values of the early church. Whether they stated them or not, they had values, and they were living them out principally. Acts 2.42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I thought, I'm not going to get any closer to original than getting into this book of Acts and saying, what were they doing? 
What does it tell us was happening? And so I find these eight principles that flow from these eight values. They followed the apostles' teaching. We could spend a lot of time on that, but our statement says the Bible's our authority. They followed the apostles' teaching. They were fostering unity. How did they do that? They were sharing meals. I had a great meal yesterday at the Ziegler's house. It was a barbecue. All my clothes still smell like barbecue last night when I got home. It was so great. I just went, oh. They were sharing meals. Have you ever gone out to eat with somebody where you were nervous to start? And by the time you're done eating, you're the loudest bunch in the restaurant? You know, I know I, all, one of my favorite stories was at the Edwards Mansion down in the Orange Groves down there. And Peggy and I went with this other couple. And we were totally out of our element. You know, it was high dollar. We couldn't afford to be there. Everything was orange. They had more silverware than you knew what to do with, you know. And, you, and they would seat you in these mansion-like room, dining rooms and bedrooms and all that. You, has anybody been there? Or you've been in a place like that where they've converted this giant home to a restaurant? And there's, so there's people over sitting there and by the window and we're at this table. We're not even sure if we belong here. We don't even look like we belong here. They're, everybody looks a little better than us. And so we're real quiet. We're, they bring this. Which, which, what do I use to poke this with? You know? <laughs> okay. You, okay. By the time we were done eating, we had our chairs up on the back legs. And we were shouting jokes across the table. We were laughing and roaring and just ready to throw those orange muffins anywhere we wanted to. That orange muffins, orange butter, everything was orange. And the people in the room were having such a good time laughing at us. They were sharing their meals. Something happens when you, what we call, break bread together. When you go to somebody's house and you eat or you go to eat together, friendship happens. It's not about how luxurious the meal is or what it contains. I mean, you just have a good time eventually after you get done being nervous about it. You start sharing life together. Practiced prayer. They had corporate worship. They celebrated communion. They lived in community. And they shared generously. These are principles that flowed from the values. They said, we're going to follow the Bible. Well, that's the same thing we say here. The Bible's our authority. We're going to foster unity. Yeah, let's work at getting along. It's going to take some work, right? Some of you really have to work at liking me. I know that. I think the biggest piece we're missing is this sharing meals part in the church. And I'm not just talking about potlucks. Everybody bring some food and let's eat here. That's fun. But I think the moment of showing up at somebody's house... We used to have a thing we called the barge ministry. We built it. It means this. You walk to somebody's door. When they open the door, you say, this is an official barge. We're barging in. Now, you have 120 seconds to decline. But after that, we're just coming in. And the person, unready, my house is dirty. I don't have anything. Too late. We're in. You stalled long enough. We just walk in and go to the kitchen, open the fridge, say, let's see what we got. Are you guys hungry? We're hungry. We got, and we just barge. You don't have to be offensive, and you could decline. 
But it fostered this openness, the thing of refrigerator privileges. Where do you have refrigerator privileges? You know where they are. You know where you could go and just walk in and open, right? I think we should foster this a little more. And I, and I think Matthew likes this idea. So let me, what's your address? No. <laughs> We're going to try it at your house first. But isn't that where it stalls out right there? We go, oh, who would I do that with? And who's coming to my house? Quick, pull the blinds and lock the door. And Oh, no, the car's in the driveway. They're going to know we're here. Wouldn't that be funny to see somebody peeking in your window? We know you're in there. Come on. We're hungry. But it interrupts life to have friendship, and it interrupts. But I think if people knew we were loving each other and we were fostering unity and we were sharing meals and practicing prayer and worship together in our homes and we were ministering to each other's needs, you know, maybe the bards would come to your house just when you needed it. Say, so, man, I'm destitute of anything. I don't have any. Well, that's great. We'll just have water together. We'll just fellowship. Let's pray together. Let's see what the need is. Maybe it's our turn to meet the need. Maybe that's why God sent us to your house. Maybe that's why God sent you to my house. Whatever it was, we would just follow his leading. Pray together, worship together, and then encourage other. Hey, we're going to be down at the temple daily worshiping. We're going to share. We're going to be generous. We're going to do it with joy. It sounds like Christianity to me, but I still think we're a little distant from it. <laughs> I can hear all the objections, not from you maybe. But, you know, thinking, oh, my, we have white carpet. <laughs> Most people never take their shoes off. And we know why. Because their socks are just as dirty as their shoes. <laughs> well, they wear flip-flops all the time. What's the difference? Then take those off? There's no difference. The road's inside those little sandals all the time. Yeah, come on in. Oh, my. Look at look at those perfect little footprints. You have the cutest feet. It's going to take me hours to love you later. Clean that carpet, but I'm so glad you're here. Living in community, sharing generously. Our fears, we need to get over them. They don't walk like us, they don't talk like us, but they have the same Jesus inside. I'm not asking us to go outside the walls and go for all the strangers and the people we don't know. I'm asking us to love one another. I'm saying that the expression, the fragrance of the body of Christ, the church, wherever it gathers, wherever it meets, should be an an opportunity of serving one another. And Jesus said they're going to know you're my disciples because of the way you love each other. So we serve God. And we serve others, and it becomes our expression. Does that make sense, our expression? You know, an artist paints their expression. When we walk into a room, the expression that's on us, the fragrance, should be one of, I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to be like Jesus to you. What do you need? Thinking of others first. Having agape as a motive. I'm not looking for a reward. I'm not looking for accolades. I'm not looking for thanks. I just want to serve him by serving you. Some of us are a little more oriented to serving than others. I understand that. Some are leaders, and they think they're in charge of making others serve. <laughs> I agree with that servant thing. Get busy. You, hurry up. That's right. You and you and you. Get on it. And I'll just 
barked the orders. Well, we'll serve you as we serve Christ. So not everybody's going to be a glowing servant, but all of us are called to serve. Jesus washed all their feet and then said, do you know what I've done? I've given you an example. Now you try it. Father, this morning, I know your word is truth, and I know you want to build into us the actuation of being able to serve you and others through love as our motive. Father, I pray the dangerous prayer that this week each one of us will find an opportunity staring us in the face the challenge to love through serving. Lord, even if it's just a brief moment, help us to recognize it and step into it. Grant us your grace to live as you would. Break us as a fresh expression and a fresh fragrance of your presence in the earth. Lord, they have to know that you're alive. And they'll only see it if they see it in us. Teach us again how to foster unity, how to love one another, how to forgive one another, how to pray for one another, how to be sincere in our love for one another, and to know oh to owe no man anything except to love him. Make us like you. You loved us, and therefore you took action. Help us out of our love for you and for others to take similar actions in displaying your grace and your glory in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We have something else. Oh, we'll do that too. A couple of things. Before you leave, and Pastor Jeff also has one more thing, is your first act of service to others. Looking for some uh, men who could stay a few minutes, stack up uh, some chairs and move some tables out. Right afterwards, we're having a leadership meeting, and that would be very helpful.